American psychologist and family physician Leonard Sachs, author of the book entitled The Collapse of Parenting. And he recollects, uh, recollects an encounter he had with a patient. He says, Kyle was absorbed in a video game on his cell phone. So I asked his mom, how long has Kyle had a stomachache? Mom said, I'm thinking it's been about two days. Then Kyle replied, shut up, mom. You don't know what you're talking about. And he gave a snorty laugh without looking up from his video game. Kyle is 10 years old. Sachs continues, I've been a physician for 29 years. This sort of language and behavior from a 10-year-old was very rare in the 1980s and 1990s. It would have been unusual a decade ago. It is common today. America's children are immersed in a culture of disrespect for parents, teachers, and one another. They learn it from television, even on the Disney Channel, where parents are portrayed as clueless, out of touch, or absent. They learn it from celebrities or the internet. They learn it from social media. They teach it to one another. Our society's belief in ineluctable progress and individual autonomy create a fertile ground for frightful independence and contempt for whatever is old. So there's a general disregard and dismissive attitude toward all that is old and a favorable attitude to what is new. And in this kind of environment, children, it's easy for children to learn that their parents and grandparents are not with the times, that they are out of touch with reality, that they don't know what they are talking about. Respect for one's elders is not one of the prized virtues here in the United States today. But this is not a biblical perspective. When it comes to our faith and life in Christ, Jeremiah 6.16 commands us to walk in the ancient past, where the good way is. Not in the newfangled past, but in the ancient past. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. 1 Timothy 5, 1 says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Leviticus 19:32 says, you shall stand up before the gray head and honor the face of an old man, and you shall fear your God, I am the Lord. Why? Because Job 12, 12 says, wisdom is with the aged, and understanding in length of days. Proverbs 16.31 says, Gray hair is a crown, a glory. It is gained in a righteous life. According to Isaiah chapter 3, verse 5, when the youth are insolent to the elders, that's a sign of divine judgment. It's a sign of a society that is on the brink of destruction. Even in the New Testament, in 2 Timothy 3, verse 2, it says that people who are disobedient to their parents will mark the times of difficulty in the last days. And that's why the fifth word of the Decalogue is this. Honor your father and mother, that your days may be long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. This command serves as a bridge that links the first half of the Ten Commandments with the second half. The first half deals with how we have to relate to God, how to love God with all of our hearts. And the second half deals with how to love our neighbors as ourselves. If you examine the Ten Commandments, 
the portion that we read this morning, you might notice that the first five commands, commandments all invoke the name of the Lord. You'll see the Lord in all caps, which is the, the personal pronoun, the proper name, the proper noun of God's name. And when you contrast that with the second half, the last five commands, you will mention, you'll see that the name of the Lord is not mentioned at all. Instead, it all has to do with what you do with your neighbor, other people. And the fifth commandment straddles both of those because it invokes the name of the Lord and grounds the command in what the Lord has promised, that your days may be long in the land the Lord, your God, is giving you. But on the other hand, it addresses our relationship with other people, our neighbors, or specifically our fathers and mothers. So it's the pivot command of the Decalogue. And as we study this, we're going to look at the importance of the command, the promise of the command, and the fulfillment of the command in turn. Let's look first at the importance of this command. Notice where this command is placed within the Decalogue. I mentioned a few weeks ago that if you examine the penalties that the Bible prescribes for the violation of these commandments, you can see that the Ten Commandments are arranged in a descending order of weight and importance. The punishment for breaking the commandment gets less and less severe as you go down the list. That doesn't mean they're not important, they're still part of the Ten Commandments, but there is a priority and an order in the Ten Commandments. Now look at where this command is. Honor your father and mother is the fifth word, which precedes even the sixth word. You shall not murder. Later, Exodus 21, 15 to 17, prescribes the death penalty for striking or cursing one's parents. Deuteronomy 21, verses 18 to 21, commands that a stubborn and rebellious son will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline and will not listen to them, and persist in being a glutton and a drunkard, that, that such a man should be stoned to death in order to purge the evil from their midst, so that all Israel shall hear and fear. Note that the parents have to have disciplined him already. If the children are stubborn and rebellious because parents fail to discipline them, that's not the children's fault, that's the parents' fault. And in such cases, children cannot be punished. But in this kind of extreme case, where the rebellious son is a glutton and a drunkard, he's socially disrupted, and even after repeated injuries and disciplines, he does not reform his ways, then execution is the final resort. This likely seems like overkill to most of us. So we need to ask ourselves, why does the Old Testament take this so seriously? Here are three reasons. First, because children of today are the adults of tomorrow. And because healthy parent-children relations are essential for the health and growth of children. It is not an overstatement to say that parent-child relations are foundational to a functioning society. And for that reason, the subversion or disruption of parent-child relations unravels the very fabric of society. And this can happen subtly. Murder is obvious. Everyone knows it's wrong. Almost everyone. And most people are not brave enough to do it. But dishonoring one's parents is more insidious there are millions who condone it in others and do it themselves. 
It is for that reason all the more dangerous, and the evil must be purged from the Israelite congregation. Second, while the fifth commandment has primarily to do with one's parents, as Paul confirms in Ephesians 6 verse 1, where he cites it, saying, children, obey your parents, uh, it has implications still for other authority figures at all levels of society. For example, throughout the Old Testament, it's not merely one's biological parents who are referred to as father and mother. Joseph said in Genesis 45 that God has made him a father to Pharaoh. In Judges 4-7, Deborah, speaking of her role as Israel's judge, said, I rose as a mother of Israel. In 1 Samuel 24-11, David addresses King Saul as father. And prophet Elijah and prophet Elijah are referred to as father by kings and by other people that are under their charge. It's the same in the New Testament, 1 Timothy 5-1, commands us to speak to an older man as you would a father, older woman as mother. We are commanded to honor widows who are truly widows. In the same way that we're commanded to honor our father and mother, the New Testament in various places tells us to honor those to whom honor is owed in Romans 13. For example, let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. 1 Timothy 6.1, bondservants should regard their own masters as worthy of all honor. So you should honor your boss at work. 1 Peter 2.17 says, honor your, the emperor. So regardless of whether you voted for Joe Biden or not, regardless of whether you approve of the job he has done so far or not, you should honor him by the virtue of his station, his office. Christians should take no part in the arrogantly disrespectful and contemptuous political discourse that characterizes our nation. So this is yet another reason why honoring one's parents is important. It sets a precedent for honoring other forms of legitimate authority. John Calvin puts it this way in his book, Institutes of the Christian Religion. Now, this precept of subjection strongly conflicts with the depravity of human nature, which, swollen with the longing for lofty position, bears subjection grudgingly. Accordingly, he has put forward as an example that kind of superiority which is by nature most amiable and least invidious because he could thus more easily soften and bend our minds to the habit of submission. By that subjection which is easiest to tolerate, the Lord therefore gradually accustoms us to all lawful subjection, since the reason of all is the same. By teaching us to submit to our parents, which is the easiest and most natural form of all submission, God humbles us and teaches us to respect other forms of legitimate authority as well. The most important authority that we need to learn to be subject to, of course, is God's. And that's the third and most important reason why we ought to honor our parents. God reveals himself to us as our heavenly Father throughout the scripture. Theologian J.I. Packer writes in his book, Knowing God, you sum up the whole of New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one holy Father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. 
Father is the Christian name for God. Our understanding of Christianity cannot be better than our grasp of adoption. This is how God has revealed himself to people. Remember how earlier in Exodus 4, God called Israel my firstborn son. Let my son go that they may serve me. As a father fights for and defends his children, our God has been fighting for the Israelites in Exodus. Psalm 103 says, As a father shows compassion unto his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him, for he knows our frame. In the same way that a compassionate dad will excuse his daughter's tantrum, saying she's only a child. Our Heavenly Father, who knows our frame and knows our weaknesses, is compassionate for us. In Matthew 7, Jesus teaches us, even sinful earthly fathers do not give a stone to a child who asks for bread. If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Our Heavenly Father is not begrudging or stingy. He is generous and eager to give good gifts to His children. Yahweh is our Father. That's who He is. And the fatherhood of God puts into perspective the importance of the fifth commandment because earthly parents are patterned after our Heavenly Father. Similar to how God creates man in his own image, in the image of God, in Genesis 1, in Genesis 5, it says, Adam fathered the son in his own likeness after his image. Parents image God in their begetting and rearing of children, and that's why obedience to parents is so important. Because the parents are instituted by God to exercise authority over their children. And that means how the parents behave for their children especially the way the fathers exercise their God-given authority as heads their respective households, is going to shape the way children perceive and relate to God, the Heavenly Father. And of course, the converse is also true. The way children are taught to honor and earth the authority of their parents is also going to affect the way those children honor the heavenly authority of God, the Father. That's why the English poet, William Shakespeare, puts it this way in one of his poems. The voice of parents is the voice of God, for to their children they are heaven's lieutenants. God has given parents authority over their children that they should exercise with love, humility, and wisdom, and so it is right for the children to honor them and listen to them. So these are some reasons why the command is so important and note that the command includes both the father and mother. This inclusion of the mother is, is, is the same honor due that to the father is due to the mother. And, and this inclusion of the mother is exceptional among ancient Near Eastern literature. It is often the case that rebellious children will listen more to their father than to their mother. So they will sometimes say things like, you keep doing this, if you don't listen, I'm going to tell your dad when he comes home. How many of you guys heard this when you're growing up? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> when our toddler is being particularly stubborn and refusing to go to bed while I'm away traveling, which they are, have a tendency to do to take advantage of my absence, Hannah will sometimes call me and put me on the speakerphone. Say, Sean, tell him 
to go to bed. <laughs> I don't know what it is, whether it's the, the, the deep for boys or the, the physical strength, I don't know what it is, but children intuitively grasp the Father's authority. But this is a warning to such children who would refuse to listen to their mother. It doesn't say, honor your father only. It says, honor your father and your mother. The mother deserves as much honor and respect as the father. But what does it mean to honor them? The word literally means to be heavy. So when it's used in a figurative sense like this, it means to treat someone as weighty give way to someone, esteem someone, to take them seriously, to value them highly. For children, this entails obedience. And that means children should be oriented toward their parents, to listen to their parents more than their peers. Developmental psychologists Gordon Neufeld and Gabor Mate lament the loss of this parental orientation among children in their book, Hold On to Your Kids. They say this, for the first time in history, young people are turning for instruction, modeling, and guidance, not to mothers, fathers, teachers, and other responsible adults, but to people whom nature never intended to place in a parenting role, their own peers. They are not manageable, teachable, or maturing because they no longer take their cues from adults. Instead, children are being brought up by immature persons who cannot possibly guide them to maturity. They are being brought up by each other. The term that seems to fit more than any other for this phenomenon is peer orientation. It is peer orientation that has muted our parenting instincts, eroded our natural authority, and caused us to parent not from the heart, but from the head from manuals, the advice of experts, and the confused expectations of society. This trend has been accelerated by the pervasive use of TikTok, Snapchat, Instagram, YouTube, even among young children. Especially as children get older, it becomes even more of a problem. Into their preteens and teenage years, some of them resist the authority and guidance of their parents and turn to the affirmations of their peers. But I want to urge all of you to remember that God did not give you friends to bring you up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. God gave you parents to bring you up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Your peers, generally speaking, don't know any better than you do. So why listen to them? Why learn from them when you can listen to and learn from your parents? We don't have very many children in our church. We do have some of the children. In 1 Kings 12, Rehoboam, son of Solomon's son, takes over as king after his father's death. Solomon oversaw the nation of Israel at the zenith of their power and glory. And so Rehoboam, Rehoboam gets a good start to his reign. 
But soon after he begins to rule, people gather themselves together before him and they petition him, saying, Your father made our yoke heavy. Now therefore lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. Now, Rehoboam tells them, hey, give me three days to consult the people, and, and I'll get back to you with an answer. And during that time, he consults, quote, the old men who had stood before Solomon, his father, while he was yet alive. And they counseled him to give the, the people a favorable answer, saying that if, they, if he yields to them now, and if he serves them now, that they will serve him forever. But then he turned and asked his own friends, the young men who had grown up with him, says verse 6, 12, 8. And they tell him to squash the complaint of the Israelites and work them even harder in order to nip their discontentment in the bud and keep them submissive. Unfortunately, Rehoboam listens to his friends, his peers, instead of the counsel of his father and gives a harsh response. And the result is that he loses 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel. Caused the schism of the nation of Israel. This is a lesson in the fifth commandment. If Rehoboam had honored his father Solomon, and by extension the man, the counselor, the old man that he had trusted in, he would not he would have avoided this national disaster. Christians should honor their father and mother. Your parents were once teenagers too. Your parents were once newlyweds too. Your parents were once once had young kids too. People who mature in Christian humility grow in their appreciation for the sacrifices of their parents and for the wisdom and experience that they have. We must not dismiss this command by telling ourselves, well, I'm not a child anymore, this doesn't apply to me. Note that this command is primarily addressed to adults already. The preceding command, the commandment number four, to keep the Sabbath, he mentions your son or your daughter. So he's this fifth commandment to honor your father and mother is given to people who already have sons and daughters. There is an important sense in which a man and woman leave their father and mother in order to form a new family in marriage. But the command to honor your father and mother still applies. We're no longer under our parental authority as when we were children, and so we no longer, we're no longer required, obedience is no longer required of us, but deference is still required. Honor. To give way to their counsel. To treat them with respect. Even when we don't like the counsel they give regarding the, our choice of spouse or career. We should express appreciation to them. Thank them for the sacrifices that they have made and the suffering that they endured in raising us. We should visit them and care for them in old age. They changed our diapers, and time might come when they're informed that we have to change their diapers. They diced up and pureed food to feed us when we were infants, when we have had no teeth. And likewise, time might come when we will have to pureed food and feed our toothless aging parents, unless you have the money to get dentures or dental implants. Thank you. <laughs> Honor your parents in the way you speak to them. Don't speak dismissively 
or scornfully to them in your pride. And don't speak dismissively or scornfully of them to other people. At the very least, our parents gave birth to us. At the very least. That's what Proverbs 23, 22 says. Listen to your father who gave you life. Even for the absolute failure of a parent, at the very least, they gave birth to us. We quite literally would not be here if it weren't for our parents. This is not to ignore the fact that parents are sometimes wrong and sometimes wicked. They often are because they are sinful human beings just like all of us. But we don't always have to agree with them in order to honor them. Sometimes we will need to correct our parents, but there's also a way to do that in an honoring way. Like I said earlier from verse 25, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Instead of an open rebuke, you can bring gentle correction in the form of encouragement. Even the best of parents are not going to be perfect, and they're going to instruct and discipline us as they see, as they see fit, according to their fallible wisdom and discernment. But even then, we can rest assured that our Heavenly Father is sovereignly instructing us and guiding us and disciplining us for our good. Sometimes our parents are not only wrong, but wicked. And there will be times when they seek to lead us into disobedience to God. And we have to say, along with the apostles in Acts 5.29, we must obey God rather than men. A good example of this is found in 1 Kings 15, where it says King, King Asa removed Maka, his mother, from being queen mother because she had made an abominable image for Asherah. And Asa cut down her image and burned it at the brook Kidron. The heart of Asa was wholly true to the Lord all his days. Here, Asa is commended by Scripture. It was right for him to remove his mother's status as queen mother and cut down the idols that she had set up because it would be wrong to violate the first and second commandments in order to keep the fifth commandment. The commandments of God cannot be pitted against each other. God never expects us to honor our parents at the expense of honoring God. And when our parents fail in their responsibility to represent God and instruct us in the way of the Lord, we must not follow them. We can still honor them. Some of you have sadly had parents who tried to abort you. Some of you have had parents who abandoned you. Some of you have had parents who abused you. All of which is a heartbreaking breach of the sacred trust that God has placed in parents. If that's you, you probably have a hard time relating to God as your Heavenly Father. But don't let your sinful parents mar your perception of our perfect Heavenly Father. Maybe your father or mother walked out on you but Psalm 27 says, For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Our Father in heaven will never leave you nor forsake you. Maybe your father and mother hurt you. It made you feel unsafe, insecure. 
Psalm 121 tells us that our Heavenly Father watches over us and He protects us and He never slumbers. He will not sleep as He watches over you. Maybe your father and mother failed to provide for you, neglected you. Matthew 6, 8 tells us that our Heavenly Father knows what you need before you ask Him. He provides even for the sparrow. Will He not provide for His precious children? Maybe you had a father or mother who despised you. You grew up knowing that they didn't like you at all. You didn't know, you've never known a parent's tender care and love. Isaiah 43, 4 says, Our Heavenly Father says, You are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you. It says in Zephaniah 3, 17, that our Heavenly Father rejoices over us with gladness that he quiets us by his love and he goes over us with loud singing. That's the love of the Heavenly Father for you. So take heart even if you didn't have honorable earthly parents. You have a Father in Heaven who is worthy of all honor and praise. And so we have ample reason to honor our Father and Mother. But Scripture provides yet more motivation for us. Honor your Father and Mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. This is why Paul calls this command in Ephesians 6 2, the first of the commandment with a promise. There's some debate over whether this is promising longevity or inheritance a long life, or a continual occupancy of the promised land. But the parallel in Deuteronomy 5.16 suggests that the answer is both, that your days may be long and that it may go well with you in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. It's an apt reward for honoring one's father and mother. By honoring the parents who brought us into the world, we get to live well and long in the world. By honoring our elders, we get to survive through elderhood ourselves. By honoring our father and mother and continuing in the faith of our fathers, we get to inherit the land that God has promised to our fathers. God has promised to our fathers. This is very easy to illustrate from early childhood. <laughs> if my kids had not listened to their parents' counsel, I'm sorry. Don't swallow that magnet. Don't stick that metal chopstick in the oven. Don't touch that fire. No, that kitchen knife is not your toy. Don't jump into the water. Check both sides of the street before crossing it. Wear your helmet when you ride a bike. I mean, they could have died many times over already. But even as we get older, this general principle remains true, even if it's harder to demonstrate. 
Honoring our father and mother lengthens our days. There are exceptions to this. For example, in 1 Kings 13, prophet Ahijah prophesied that King Jeroboam's son Abijah will die of his illness. And while this is intended as punishment for Jeroboam, it is intended as a reward for his son Abijah. Because it says, quote, he only, the Abijah, he only of Jeroboam shall come to the grave, because in him there is found something pleasing to the Lord. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? The fact that Abijah dies early and is buried in peace is a reward for having something still left in him that is pleasing to the Lord, unlike the rest of Jeroboam's family. He will be spared the impending judgment and suffering and war that Jeroboam's household will experience. Isaiah 57, 1-2 captures the same sentiment. He says, the righteous man perishes, devout men are taken away, for the righteous man is taken away from calamity. He enters into peace. They rest in their bed who walk in their uprightness. So it is not true that long life is always pleasant. Sometimes God gives us a short life in order to bless us. In some situations, it is the Lord's mercy to bring a seemingly premature death. But generally speaking, God grants the blessing of long life to those who honor their father and mother. But if the Israelites fail to honor their fathers and mothers, they are, their lives will be cut short and they will be exiled from the promised land. I'm sure that many of you can point to examples from your own life, from among your own friends, rebellious peers who did not heed the advice of their parents and teachers. And now you can look around and see where they are. Parents generally have our best interests in mind, and they generally have more wisdom than their children, which generally goes well for children who honor their parents. Like all the other commands of Scripture, the fifth commandment also finds its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus. And Jesus fulfills this in a way you might not expect. He says in Matthew 10, 34-39, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth, I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. The demands of Christian discipleship, of following Jesus, takes precedence over even the demands of filial piety. Even here in the United States, I know Christians who are ostracized within their families because of their faith in Jesus Christ. But overseas, where Christians are persecuted, the situation is far more dire. There are Christians who are disowned by their parents, beaten, and in some cases even killed by their own family members for renouncing their ancestral religions and putting their faith in Jesus Christ. But that is precisely what the Lord Jesus demands. Because anyone who loves his father or mother more than him chooses his father and mother over him 
is not worthy. And Jesus creates a new family structure. Right? In Mark 3, when his disciples tell Jesus, hey, your, your mother and your brothers are waiting for you, so you should go. And then Jesus tells them, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he stretches out his hand towards his disciples and he says, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. We were all once spiritual rebels and orphans, but by dying on the cross for our sins, Jesus reconciles us to God the Father. And it is by the Spirit of God that we are adopted into His family under the fatherhood of God. So we are bound together as brothers and sisters in Christ. This does not make the biological father-son, mother-daughter relationship obsolete, but it does relativize that relationship. That's why we, in the church we can call we call fellow believers brothers and sisters. Like Paul called himself the spiritual father of the Corinthian church. The spiritual family bonded together by the blood of Christ now transcends in importance even the blood ties of a biological family. Because this is the family that will actually last life. Not only in this life. And so in Mark 10, Jesus promises those who leave their homes and the families follow him. He says, those who have left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for his sake and for the gospel will receive a hundredfold houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands. Do you grieve that you have no parents to honor? Do you grieve that you have no children to be honored by? Are you sad that your relationships with your in-laws are not what you had hoped it would be? Our God is the father of the fatherless and protector of widows, and he settles the solitary in our homes. God invites you to find your home and family here. In the church of God, in the family of God, honor your spiritual father and mother here. Be a spiritual father and mother to the young ones in the church. Love them, pray for them, exhort them. And let us do all of it under the authority and in the love of our Father in heaven. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, thank you for your love for us. By your sovereign will, you adopted us as your children. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for providing for us. God, help us all to relate to you as we ought to, as our loving Heavenly Father. And as we do that, teach us to honor the Father and Mother in our lives. For your glory. In Jesus' name we pray.